Hello, and welcome to the Without Exception podcast. My name is Josiah Ott, and on this podcast, I seek to share practical content for everyday Christians. My hope is that I can help you live out your faith each day without exception. Welcome to episode 23 of Without Exception. Thank you for listening. Today, we're going to continue the idea of studying the word for ourselves, as we mentioned, I believe about five episodes ago now, on the Berean uh, Jews who are willing to search the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was actually true. So we're diving into this topic, and specifically on hermeneutics now, which is principles of biblical interpretation. Last week, we covered literary context, which I think is a great topic. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, uh, go give it a listen. It should be good. This is not going to build specifically off that, so if you have not listened to that first, that's okay. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about historical cultural context, which is the second major aspect of context. Uh, They're kind of the two different things that go together to establish the context of a passage. And the historical uh, cultural context, again, could just be considered the background. Uh, You might hear it a lot if somebody gets up to preach, they might say, I'm going to give you a little background on something. And when we decide to read for ourselves and really dive into scripture and interpretation, not just reading the Bible, but actually studying it and trying to get into a deeper meaning and and understand what the original authors were really trying to say, we really have to go beyond just surface level things. And so some things that people might believe are only reserved for preachers, it really is something that's good for every Christian to practice. So historical cultural context, it's a little bit more work than literary context because it generally requires some additional resources, but I believe it's well worth it. I don't think you should just gloss over this topic um, when you get into serious Bible study. If you are reading through a lot of chapters a day or whatever, doing the Bible in one year, it might not be super practical right now, uh, but if you get into a plan that maybe requires less reading on a day-to-day basis, it would be a great topic to get into, or even if you're just you know, you come across a verse that you don't quite understand, you want to kind of look into it deeper. So with that, I want to read two quotes from Grasping God's Word. Again, that's a book by uh, Duval and Hayes. I highly, highly recommend it. It's a great book on interpreting the Bible. Like the title, Grasping God's Word, it's like to get a hold of it and to understand the meaning of what the Bible uh, is trying to communicate to us, what God is trying to communicate through the pages of Scripture. It's a phenomenal resource. And I've got two quotes from them, and then I'm going to share a little bit about their interpretive journey that they teach on in the book. So the first quote says this, We should not be so arrogant and prideful as to think that God cared nothing about the original audience, but was merely using them to get a message to us. And a second quote says this, God's word is eternally relevant. Our task as students of his word is to discover that relevance by doing our contextual homework. Both of those are on page 117. And we see here in in the first quote specifically that they really believe that God had originally uh, had a meaning for the original audience, not just for us today. Obviously, God speaks through his word to us today. I do not want to ever uh, try to make the Bible seem like it's irrelevant. There are some Christians that actually do believe this, where they believe that the differences between the biblical audience and the audience today are so great they cannot be reconciled and that the Bible's actually not really that useful for Christians today. I do not believe that at all. Uh, There's definitely some significant differences culturally. Again, the historical framework, that's the reason that we need to study the context. That's what this episode's all about. But that doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. There's actually a lot of things. It's surprising. There's many times I'm actually reading through scripture, and I'm like, you know, this is more relevant than ever. Like, this is so true. Uh, Just this week, I was sharing with our youth group on the idea 
of, you know, is Jesus going to be our king or the things of this world going to be our king? And so there, there's this time when the, the, uh, the book of Acts, the Christians in the book of Acts had to deal with, you know, are they going to confess Caesar as their Lord and their, and their king and the one that rules their lives because they had to have this weird allegiance to Rome? Or is it going to be Jesus? And it's like, well, in, in America, you might not be required to confess this allegiance sort of thing, but there's a lot of things that are fighting for our attention to take us away from God. And so you can realize like, hey, this topic, while it might not be the same exact thing, it's actually still really relevant to us today. You just need to be able to understand the context and then it adds some extra meaning. And then you can see how that applies to us today as well. And so then they have an interpretive journey is what they call it, where you break down uh, the, the pro- there's a process where you go from the original audience to us today. And the first step is to grasp the text in their town, to understand the original audience. It's a process of exegesis, which is a fancy word that pretty much means pulling meaning out of the text. What is the original meaning that the, the, this scripture is trying to communicate uh, rather than eisegesis, which is the opposite, which is actually to put meaning into the text. So we don't want to put something into the Bible that was not there to just make ourselves feel good or to have this real deep moment or whatever. No, we want to pull the meaning out that God put in there for us to find. So that's the first step is to understand what it meant for the original audience. The second part is to measure the width of the of the river. And the, what, the way they illustrate it is the river it consists of the differences between the biblical audience and us is God's audience today. So there's like, there's different covenants, there's different continents, there's different cultures. Uh, the Old Testament, a lot of them were under the law, obviously, um, but some of them existed before the law. So you have to like consider all these differences and versus us today. And then you can go and establish, okay, how wide is this river? And then you build a bridge with a theological principle is kind of what they do. And so you come up with this principle that works for them and it works for us. And it crosses the river of differences so that we can all equally understand and apply the Bible and what God is trying to say to our lives. But you do have to establish that there is a lot of differences there. And so that is the whole reason for this episode. Uh, In this episode, we're going to focus in on the first and second part of this journey. So the original audience and then the size of the river to cross. Especially uh, the important, the most important thing is to understand that there is a river of differences. And so one of the first things to look at here, again, I I mentioned Professor Finkbeiner, I believe in my last episode, he uh, shared a lot about biblical exegesis in my preaching class, which was really good. It was, it was all awesome material. And he shared that one of the very first things that you should do when you're looking at interpreting scripture is, was this before or after the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? So he called it either the Jesus event or the Christ event. I can't remember what, what name or the title or whatever he used, but he's like, you know, is this new covenant or is this old covenant? Because even like you got to consider the gospels were primarily part of the old covenant because Jesus had not yet died and resurrected from the dead. So until he shed his blood, becoming you know our atonement and becoming the propitiation for our sins, the new new covenant had actually not been fully established. Like that, the new covenant was written in his blood. So Matthew chapter one through twenty seven or twenty six, I don't remember exactly. Right, the majority of of Matthew, for instance, is actually old covenant. But then, as soon as Jesus dies, then the book of Acts and onward, and all the epistles and and all of that. It's a new covenant. So that's one of the first things to consider. Is this new covenant? Is this old covenant? You know, where where is this at in the timeline there? 
But then beyond this, so that's just very basic first step. Beyond this, you have to consider who is the writer of the book. Uh, were they a prophet? Were they a king? Were they an apostle? Were they just somebody random that managed to write a book? Were they a, sp a specific leader? Like, you know, you need to look into that. What kind of person were they? And then beyond that, who was the original audience? So all of them had an original audience in mind. Obviously, we are still an audience. Again, I'm not trying to establish that, this, that scripture is not relevant to us today or doesn't speak to us today, but there was an original audience and it's ignorant and just not right to just assume that, oh, it's only written for me. I'm going to forget about the people that it was originally intended to go to. So you can look at this and say, okay, well, was it a nation of people? Was it an individual? Um, was it a group? You know, you, you can look at this and realize like in the New Testament, like Matthew wrote his gospel primarily to Jews, whereas Luke wrote his gospel uh, primarily to Gentiles. So they're a little bit different because of that. And then beyond that, you got like the the letters of Paul. Paul wrote to the Galatians. Well, the Galatia was a region, whereas Ephesus was a city and Philippi was a city and Thessalonica was a city. So Galatia is the only letter written to a region of multiple churches. And then some churches, some are written to specific churches for specific matters. Like the Corinthians, there were some real weird issues. We'll just put it that way. And he wrote to the Corinthians to correct something. It was a very specific letter for them. But I believe it's also in Ephesians where, where Paul said basically, hey, you can spread this letter around. Like this letter works for everybody. Obviously, all of them work for everybody. But Ephesians was more of a general letter that could be applied to multiple contexts. But then again, Paul also wrote to Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon. And so you look at those three. And it's like those were written to individuals. Well, what was his relationship with this individual? What was it like? And and you can go beyond that. And then the Old Testament, you can look at it and say, okay, was this person writing to a specific a specific person or a group of people? Was there an audience? Uh, was this prophet prophesying to Israel or to Israel and Judah or to them separately or to a foreign nation? Like Jonah was sent to, to Nineveh, which was a city in Assyria. So you can look at this and realize that the uh, the original audience actually says a lot about the content of the, of the scriptural passage. And then the third part, so you got the first is the, uh, is the author, the original biblical author or writer. Second part is the audience, the original audience. And the third part is the background of the passage, the historical setting. So you can look at it and say, well, when did this take place? Especially in the Old Testament, this is so crucial because the Old Testament has got all sorts of, of different situations because of the, the nation of Israel. They went through these seasons. They went through these stages. Initially, there was no Israel. Initially, God had individuals that he spoke through and, and called, and then he called Abraham, and then Abraham's descendants became the nation of Israel. So until until they became a nation, you know, it's a completely different historical context. And then they become a nation, but they're in slavery, but then they're free. And then they're ruled by judges and then they're, you know, or they're ruled by Moses and then Joshua and then the judges. And so it's like, well, what, what setting is this book written in? And then beyond that, they become a kingdom. You know, Saul becomes their first king. Then David becomes a king and Solomon becomes king. Then after Solomon, it divides into two separate kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Was it, was this book written to one of the two, or was it written about one of the two? You know, was it during this time or the exile? So after, after their sin, you know, progressed and they would not repent, uh, God sent them all into exile. And the, the nation of Judah was exiled to Babylon. 
And that is where Ezekiel's written. That's where the book of Daniel is written. Lamentations is written during that time. So it really puts it into context there. But then at the end, they get to go back and rebuild Israel and Jerusalem. And, you know, they get to re-inhabit their homeland. And that's where Ezra and Nehemiah come into play. And uh, the, the prophets Haggai and I believe Zechariah as well. So you can look into this and realize that the original uh, background, the original historical setting is actually very, very significant, speaks a lot to it. And so, again, every passage has this river of differences to cross, but we need to answer these questions. How big is the river? Some passages, there's almost no river if they're new covenant believers, and it's a very similar situation to what we experience today. You don't really need to worry about it nearly as much as a single Jew during under the old covenant in this you know, backwoods area, whatever, of Israel. It's, it's a completely different situation. Uh, in order to look into this again, you kind of have to have some additional resources. It's good to look into study Bibles, commentaries, Bible handbooks. Um, Old Testament or New Testament survey books are very helpful. And also Bible background commentaries are great. A specific one is the IVP Bible background commentary of the New Testament by Craig Keener is very good. Um, I've used that for a number of things. It was a textbook a long time ago. He offers a lot of uh, background um, about all the about every verse, I believe, of the New Testament. He's got something written about it to give you a little insight. There's also an Old Testament version of that. It's not written by Craig Keener, and I've never read it. I don't own it personally, but um, it's by the same people, so I'd assume it's good, but I cannot say for sure. And you can use the internet as well. You really have to be careful with internet resources, though, because there's a lot of a lot of misinformation, a lot of biblical inaccurate um, stuff where people who hate Christianity or don't believe in, in the Bible might come out with their presuppositions and take things a, a different way. It's just really not true, or it's so incredibly biased that it's not helpful. So you do have to be careful. Consider the sources that you're using, but it's really good to research and get into it. So to show you the uh, importance of this, I want to share about two passages of scripture from the Old Testament, and then three examples from the New Testament that will kind of illustrate how the cultural context or historical context can really um, speak into things and add some extra light. And the first one is in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. It's a famous verse. It's probably like one of the top five most known verses in all of scripture. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And everybody thinks that's a great verse, and it's God's plan for your life, and it's all these things. And I do believe that God has a plan for our lives, and I do believe that it's it's a good plan, and that he wants to give us a future, and that we can have hope in Jesus Christ. But this verse specifically is talking to the nation of Israel as they are about to go into captivity, into the exile. And I guess not Israel, it's Judah, because at this time, uh, it was during the time of the divided kingdom. Again, the northern kingdom was Israel. They had been conquered by Assyria. They were gone, scattered throughout the world. And then Judah went into captivity. They were basically uh, prisoners of war taken to the land of Babylon. And so in verse 10, immediately before this, Jeremiah prophesies and basically says, hey, you're going to be stuck in Babylon for 70 years as a result of your sin. You're going into exile, but God has a plan for you and his plan is for to give you future and hope. So, you know, don't lose heart because you're going to be punished for your sin, but God is still going to be merciful to you. And so you realize like the context of this verse, it's so much more than just God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's so much more than that. 
Jeremiah's entire ministry actually overlaps the last days of the kingdom of Judah. It's it's super fascinating. If you start to cross-reference uh, Jeremiah and 2 Kings, there's a lot that you won't get if you only read one or the other. If you cross-reference them together, it's really powerful. I did this uh, with our youth group, I think like a year and a half ago or something. And you can realize that King Zedekiah was the final king of, of Judah, and he refused to submit to Babylon. You know, Nebuchadnezzar basically said, look, I, Nebuchadnezzar had appointed Zedekiah as the king. He took the original king as, as captive, and, he's, and he let Zedekiah be the king and basically said, just listen to us in Babylon and you'll be okay. And Jeremiah the prophet actually pleaded multiple times with Zedekiah and says, Zedekiah, submit to Babylon. You are going to be punished for the sin of your people. Like there's, there's, that's the situation. You're not going to get out of this. This is God's will for you all to be punished. So don't rebel against Babylon because you'll lose. God is not with you. Like that is, that's the message that Jeremiah sent time and time and time again. And the people wouldn't listen. King Zedekiah didn't listen. He ends up being uh, taken captive. They killed his sons right before his eyes and they, they put his eyes out. You know, the last thing he saw was his sons dying and they took him to ca- in, into captivity. They took everybody into captivity. And maybe I'll do a whole episode on this later, but it's pretty intense. But you can realize that Jeremiah's ministry was during this very pivotal time in the Old Testament. And he had this this awesome ability or privilege, I guess, to be able to go and plead with the king. But yet the king would not listen. So this is what Jeremiah is actually speaking about, is this time of exile and captivity. Another example from the Old Testament that I really enjoy is from the book of Haggai, which a lot of people don't know. And people pronounce it differently. I don't know what the correct pronunciation is. I guess that's how I've always pronounced it. Um, And in chapter one, there's uh, like 10 verses I'm going to read to you guys. It'll be pretty good. It says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Well, the house of the Lord here was the temple in Jerusalem. It had been torn down by Nebuchadnezzar, right? That was the thing I had just talked about where the, the Babylon, Babylonians came in and they conquered all of the land of Judah. They ripped, they raised everything to the ground, burned it to the ground. So they now were in the process of rebuilding. They had the opportunity under the Persian uh, empire to be able to go back to their homeland, rebuild the walls under Nehemiah, rebuild the, the temple and all this stuff. And so this is what happens. It says in verse three, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then he goes on to say, you know, you've so much, but you've harvested little. You you eat and you drink, but you never have your fill. You put your clothes on. You're not warm. He's basically saying, consider your ways. Nothing in your life is really going Right. You look for all these things. It's not working. And then he says in in verse nine, he says, you look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. So here, God is speaking through Haggai the prophet and saying that you guys are being judged because your priorities are are crooked, right? There was the the period of exile and they finally got to go home. They got to go home to to their homeland, to Jerusalem, to rebuild, but the people got content to just build their own homes. They went back and they fixed up their own house and their house was nice and it was in great shape. And God's house, the temple laid in ruins and they, their priorities were misaligned. They were d- dwelling in paneled houses. Their stuff was nice and God's house 
had been neglected. And so you realize the context of this passage is that they finally got to leave exile and like you got to go to your homeland, like you got to go back to the promised land. This is a big deal. But instead, they were too focused on their own lives and they were busy with their own stuff and they were ignoring God. And so you look at that and it's like, well, does that take away from the application of today? No, not at all, right? It still speaks to the concept of priorities so, so clearly. Like how often in our lives today do we busy ourselves with with our own will and our own plans and our own ideas and all these things? And we neglect, you know, going to church. We neglect our spiritual walk. We neglect all the things God's called us to. And we just want to pursue our own lives in our own way instead of really submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you look at this and it's like, wow, it's it's something people still deal with today is, is misaligned priorities where they're not prioritizing spiritual things. Instead, they're prioritizing the things of this life. And so you look into the context, it adds meaning, and it makes it even more relevant today when you thoroughly understand uh, the passage. And I'm going to give a couple examples from the New Testament. These are all going to be paraphrased because I try to keep these episodes a little bit shorter. Um, but there are also familiar stories, but I'll, sh- I'll share something with you that maybe you didn't know. Uh, for the first one, in Luke chapter 10, you read about the Good Samaritan. And I know that pretty much everybody's probably heard this story. I mean, probably even a lot of non-believers have heard the story. And in it, basically, you got this guy. He's going between Jerusalem and Jericho. He falls among thieves. He's beat up. You know, it goes pretty bad for him. And then a priest and a Levi walk by this man in need and they ignore him. And then a Samaritan comes along, comes to his aid. He binds his wounds, takes him to the inn and pays for his stay. The, he's a good Samaritan, right? He's this great guy. Well, for a long time in my life, I had no idea what a Samaritan was. And it's like, I guess he's just the guy that's good that helps out the guy in need. But during this time, Samaritans were actually from the region of Samaria, which was, I believe, just north of Judea. And Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Like they hated each other's guts. They didn't get along. They had some religious conflicts amongst other things uh, over where they should worship. The Samaritans overall, I believe, tried to worship Yahweh, but they didn't want to worship in Jerusalem. You can also learn a little bit about it from John chapter four, where Jesus talks to the woman at the well. But you look into this and you realize that there was this group of people named Samaritans that Jews hated. They had no respect for them. They had no dealings with the Samaritans, I believe is how it says in John chapter four. And so now you got Jesus talking about this guy who's a Samaritan, who is the example, right? The priest, the Jewish priest is not, not the example. It's instead a Samaritan. You realize like, wow, this is this is powerful. Like it's going against all of their, you know, their preconceived notions of who Samaritans were and they're bad people. And, you know, it talks a lot in, in, in there about judgment and the idea of respecting people for, uh, or the respect of people rather for like in the negative sense, like, oh, you're a respecter of persons and, and not valuing everybody equally. And you realize that, you know, being a Samaritan was significant. Like that was, that was one of the biggest points is the fact that it's a Samaritan. But if you don't know that, that, uh, that cultural, idea there, you completely miss that part of this story. Another thing from the New Testament is that if you remember in the in the Old Testament, under the law, pigs were unclean. The animal pigs, you weren't supposed to touch them, weren't supposed to be around them. And so when Jesus went over to the, the region of the, the Gadarenes, Gerasenes, depending on your translation, it says a different, couple different things, but there was the guy that was possessed with a legion of demons. Well, he was living among pigs and among tombs and among Gentiles, right? And and he was demon-possessed, which obviously was the worst. So this guy was the most unclean person according to Jewish customs. Like he was lived among pigs and tombs. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean. If you're around pigs, you're unclean. You know, all these things. 
And this is the guy that Jesus goes out of his way to reach. Jesus goes, I think he was one of the first Gentile converts. I don't know if he was probably not the first. I'm not sure off the top of my head. But he ends up going and becoming an evangelist to the whole region of the Decapolis because Jesus was willing to go out of his way to reach this guy who was as unclean as you could get. And you kind of missed that whole part. If you didn't know that Jews didn't like pigs, didn't like tombs, you know, under the law, all this stuff, you completely miss it. Another thing in the New Testament, in Luke 15, with the story of the prodigal son, when he was at his lowest, what did he do? He got a job where he was responsible for feeding pigs. So you got this father who has a son who, you know, wipes out his inheritance and goes and lives a reckless life and throws away everything that he had. And when he was at the lowest of the low, what was he doing? He was feeding pigs, right? Pigs, again, were this animal. They were unclean. And you kind of realize that, like, in America, it's like feeding pigs is probably not a glorious task, but it's like, whatever, you you just feed the pigs. But in their culture, that was really bad. Like, that was, like, it couldn't have gotten worse. You know, it's like this guy was on such hard times. And you miss that part if you don't know the, the relationship between Jews and pigs because of the Old Testament law. So, again, there's a difference there. That's part, right? That's part of the river of differences is right now, Americans, who cares about pigs? Like they're clean. They're on to us as, as much as anything, right? They're like, they're physically dirty, but there's like, we eat bacon, right? We eat pulled pork, all sorts of stuff, pork chops. I mean, it's great. And so we don't have to worry about that. And we miss that if we don't understand the Jewish laws, Jewish customs, and look into this river of differences. Historical cultural context often adds a lot of extra meaning rather than taking it away. So it is worth looking into if you're going to study the Bible for yourself. So with that, I thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Without Exception podcast. I pray that this episode has been edifying to you and that it is something you can put into practice in your own life. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with others. If you are listening on Apple, I would love it if you would leave a review. It helps with the exposure of the show. That said, I pray you have an awesome week. And until I see you next time, let's live out our faith each day without exception.